0: What is a doula? If you're thinking of becoming pregnant, do you need a doula? What's the difference between a doula and a midwife anyway? Can you have a doula if you give birth in a hospital? I know I had a lot of questions, so I suspect that you do too. Today, I'm talking to Erica Watson Lawson, who's not only a doula, but also a dietitian. She refers to herself as a doula, dietitian, diva, and that title is well-deserved. She has been a registered dietitian for over 15 years and decided she was doing so much doulaing for so many friends and family, why not make it official? So she became a certified doula in 2021 and founded her own virtual doula business called Purely Nourishing Doula. She offers virtual and in-person services from nutrition coaching, pregnancy and labor services, and also postpartum care. Striving to educate and empower women holistically through movement as a fourth trimester fitness instructor, Erica teaches mothers how to alleviate some of those pregnancy aches and pains. And the class she leads called Birth Ball Basics also teaches women how to work with their bodies in labor. Another fact about Erica is that she also has PCOS, which is how I first got to know her. I know you'll enjoy this chat with her and learn more about why doulas are important and why doula dietitians are even better. Let's get started. Welcome to Hormonally Yours with the Hormone Dietitian. If you're a busy woman struggling with hormonal issues like PCOS, fertility struggles, and other hormone imbalances, and you feel like you're the boss of your life in every area but your hormones, then you're in the right place. I'm your host, Melissa Groves Azaro, integrative women's health dietitian, coffee lover, cat lady, all black wearing, former New York City advertising exec turned professional period fairy. It's my mission to be the no BS, hormone nutrition education resource for smart women struggling with hormone imbalances so you can have regular symptom-free periods and optimize your fertility naturally. I'm here to share real, actionable, science-based tips you can use to get real results without cutting out foods, spending hours in the gym or meal prepping, and without losing sleep, because we're all about balance here at The Hormone Dietitian, and I am so glad you're here. Let's get started. Welcome Erica. I am so excited you're here to talk with me today. uh, Tell the audience a little bit about who you are and what you do. Well, my name is Erica Watson Lawson.
1: I have been a registered dietitian, I think it's over 15 years. I have worked in all different parts of dietetics, food service, community, and I am a dietitian diva. That's what I call myself now. (laughs) I'm Um, Jacksonville, Florida, but I do offer like I get to meet people from everywhere because I also do virtual doula services. So it's kind of cool to be able to do that.
0: Awesome. I love what it says on your website that you're a dietitian by day doula by night. Yeah, (laughs) that is so true. I think a lot of us wear several different hats. You've got a few more hats than the average person.
1: <laughs> yeah, I do have a few more hats. I actually also teach a fitness class. It was designed and made by a lady who was a midwife in South Africa. And when she moved over here, she became a fitness instructor in a doula. And so it's a really amazing course. I actually took one of her courses after I had two of her courses after I had my last. That's how I got introduced to it. So yeah,
0: yeah. What did your journey look like, going from you know graduating and practicing as a dietitian to deciding to work with people through pregnancy, birth, postpartum, like was it having children yourself, or was there something else that that triggered that interest for you?
1: Well, it actually was kind of like my childhood, just because of my childhood. My aunt actually had twins, boy girl twins, and I have a set of four girls. When they were born, I guess back then, parents didn't like tell you. They just like drove you in a car to places. So my dad was just like, okay, you're going to help your aunt now. She, which I wanted to do anyway.
0: Mm hmm. So, yeah, I hear that's something that's definitely changed, you know, when you and I were younger, you know, I'm talking like 10, 11, 12. We were babysitting and watching kids. And, you know, I remember my first job was, you know, I was 11 years old and I was essentially a mother's helper. And I would, you know, watch the kids. It was for our neighbors who were musicians. So they needed time to practice during the day, but they had like little, little kids at home. So basically my job was to keep the kids entertained and make sure nobody burned the house down while they were, you know, practicing. Change the diaper without having to, to bother mom. I don't know. I feel like there's been a shift, you know, in terms of kids being able to stay home at home alone, you know, we were the latchkey generation. So, you know, I was home alone at eight, I think was the first time I would stay home by myself. So you were saying that essentially you were helping your family with their children and and that's sort of what led to you deciding to work with pregnancy, birth and postpartum stages of life. It was probably like just the seed that was, mm-hmm. was implanted. Because just like you said,
1: I also had, I was a babysitter. And so like you were saying, it's really different because I was telling my kids, they're 14. And I was like, you know, when I was 12, I had a babysitting service and I had 12 kids there. That's how we made money back then. <laughs> and then <laughs> later becoming a dietitian, I did food service first. Actually, I, I went straight from school into a food service management position in South Florida in a very rural area. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. I love that place, <laughs> even though it was so different from, you know, living in the city and growing up in a city and then going to a very rural area where there's only two hospitals in the entire county. It was a very different experience.
0: Yeah, I'm still struggling with that now, actually. I mean, I, I tend to say I just left New York City, but the reality is I left New York City nine years ago, but mm-hmm. I had moved to a small city on the New Hampshire seacoast. And now I'm in a rural area. And I, I kind of forget we're rural because we're a university town. So, like, our town has all the things, but you go outside of our town and there's just, not a lot of things.
1: Yeah. I know. I know exactly what you mean. I did the whole driving an hour and 15 minutes to my favorite grocery store.
0: Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I'm about an hour and a half from a, from a Trader Joe's right now. And it's really sad.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and so I went straight from that into um, clinical. Actually, I moved back up to Jacksonville, Florida. Mm-hmm. And um, I have my twins. I already had My oldest daughter was eight and a half. And so I had my twins and my husband was like, didn't your parents say that we could come back up there? (laughs) So we moved back up to Jacksonville and we've been here ever since, but I've been doing clinical for a very long time, actually. Most of my career has been clinical in acute care. Mm
0: -hmm. And then
1: about four years ago, I decided I'm going to do long-term care because I knew I wanted a business. I just didn't know exactly what kind of business I wanted. And so I decided I was going to do no longer become, be a manager and change into a role where I didn't have to manage any humans. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I took the long-term care position because it allotted me extra time to focus on what I wanted to do as a person and what I felt like my calling was basically. And so after actually doing life coaching and looking at my life, I realized there was a theme, babies, moms, mm. nurturing, because it was one of the exercises we had to do, just writing out what interests us in our lives at different ages. It was always babies, moms, babies, moms. <laughs> <laughs> and even when I was in acute care, most of the dietitians would be like, oh, no, it's a breastfeeding when you do it, you do it. And so. I loved doing those though. So I'll be running up for the chance. And so it just worked out really well to where once I finished my life coaching, I kind of realized like I want to be in maternal health and I've had doulas for myself during some of my deliveries. And so it just made sense that I would want to do this and take this route, especially given the, the state of healthcare today
0: yeah so that was the the point where you decided to start training as a doula.
1: yes, especially because in the black community, women are four to five times more likely to die during that maternal phase, which is anywhere from pregnancy until the child is one years old, and so I felt like it was definitely something I needed to do because I mean, I do have a mama bear personality, but I know <laughs> how to be gentle, but I really. I love mentoring. And so it kind of makes sense because I love teaching moms and teaching families how to advocate for themselves because I won't I can't always be there, but they can always use the tools.
0: Yeah. So what are some of the barriers? You know, I think doula care and especially for the black community, the maternal mortality rates, you know, it's only beneficial to have someone in your corner advocating for you and advocating for your safety and you know the things that you want but there are some barriers are there not enough doulas are doulas not accessible to everyone what are some of the barriers that are preventing doulas from being present at more births
1: so one of the things is just the knowledge i think doulas have become more popular like you were saying before now because of social media But people still have a misunderstanding of a doula and a midwife. And so sometimes they're like, oh, I already have a midwife, or oh, I already have a doctor, I don't need a doula. But a doula's role is completely different. We take the non medical side of it. Yes.
0: So the midwife is really more the medical birth delivery, and the doula is more the support person. Am I understanding that correctly?
1: Definitely correct. We are providing support for the Family and the pregnant person The during the pregnancy, some doulas only work with them during the pregnancy and during the, the labor. And after that, subsequently, some doulas only work postpartum because now many people are spread out away from their families and they need support. And so a postpartum doula will definitely help you out. Most of the times we kind of just take the baby and take care of the baby and let the mom rest. If the baby is breastfeeding, we will come wake you up, give you your baby, take the baby out, tiptoe out the room, take care of the baby that night. So we're there for mostly for emotional, physical, during the physical support as well. And um, just teaching you how to advocate for yourself, take care of yourself, take care of your baby and how to try to build that community that you need after you have a child.
0: I always would joke about it, but in all seriousness, my husband, um, I feel like this always happens with couples. There's like one person who's super into the medical, technical stuff. Like I would get so excited. I'd come home from, you know, my internship or whatever and tell him like, oh my, I saw this thing with this today. It was so cool. And I would look over and he's like gray or green (laughs) and like about to pass out. He has a history of passing out in the hospital. Like, you know, his dad was having surgery and the anesthesiologist came in to explain something and like he had to leave the room. So like, like <laughs> I would joke about it, but 100% seriousness. If I, you know, ever ended up in a situation where I was pregnant and giving birth, I would 100% hire a doula because the last thing I need is to be worrying about him passed out on the hallway floor, outside the door, you know, (laughs) leaving me with no support. So I know, you know, that's a situation, a very realistic situation where I would a hundred percent work with a doula if I were pregnant. Exactly. (laughs) What are some of the other situations where someone might want to consider a doula? I think you had mentioned, you know, for someone who's maybe doesn't have their family near Mm -hmm. for support.
1: Yeah, someone who doesn't have their family near. And in all fairness, pretty much everybody deserves a doula because sometimes when, you know, all family dynamics are different. Sometimes when we're not feeling our best, which is definitely someone after they give birth, usually, we don't have the tendency to set boundaries for ourselves. So your doula is there to help you set boundaries as well. You know, boundaries on, you know, who's in the room, boundaries on who can help you or Whatever that client feels like they need, they could use a doula for for whatever they need. Definitely someone who doesn't have much family support. And just like you were saying, my mom is not going to be in that room. She never was. (laughs) So (laughs) so I had a doula for two of my births. And so, yeah, I, I needed that. I needed that extra support to really think about it. Pretty much everybody does because the doula is one of those people you call when you are like, oh, no, I don't know what's this. What is this? What is that? Is this normal? Is that normal? (laughs) We answer all those questions.
0: Yeah, I think that really overlaps with, you know, the dietician role, too, is we're we're that person. You can text from the grocery store like. What do you think of this product or, you know, what should I, we're going, going out to this restaurant. What should I, what should I order? What, what would be the smartest thing for me to order? Like just having that extra support. But when it comes to all of those birth questions, yes. or early postpartum questions.
1: Yes. And just, just helping kind of like make sure things go as you would like them to go. Not necessarily during the labor. We know that that could be different and different things come up but definitely the about the way you feel. Because one thing, you know, that is always said and true is someone may not remember what you say, but they remember how they felt. My goal is to make my clients feel very taken care of.
0: Yeah. I, you know, I'm really big on boundaries, uh, especially when it comes to, to business and work-life balance and, Things like that, I think probably the trickiest place to enforce boundaries is with with family, particularly when family members have different beliefs or different ideas about, you know the way things should be, or mm-hmm. you know, maybe a little bit old fashioned views about some things. so yeah, that sounds sounds really appealing to have a buffer. You know, it's like, sorry, these are just Melissa's wishes. Like, <laughs> exactly. That's exactly
1: what I say. I'm so sorry. This is just this is her wishes. This is exactly what she she wants. And we're just going to make
0: sure that she's as comfortable as can be. So you're really like the the bodyguard for the mom. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes you have to be. <laughs> bodyguard for the birthing person. I love it.
1: Yeah. Sometimes you have to be just so, you know, you want to protect their peace. Really. It's such a huge transition in life. Just having a child, you know, like they say, it's not just the birth of the child. It's also the birth of the mother. And I always say it's different every time I I have had three births. None of them are the same. (laughs) You can't, you can't guess what's going to happen.
0: Yeah, yeah, we've had um, a lactation consultant on the show, and she also, you know, talked about that as you know, uh, breastfeeding one child isn't necessarily the same way it's going to go for the second child. So, make no assumptions about exactly. how things are going to go.
1: Exactly, every last one of them is different. Even, even just thinking of that, when I had my twins, one latched perfectly, and the other couldn't. And now knowing more about tongue tie and other things, maybe something could have been done. But basically what happened is I had to pump for him full time. I would pump for him and sometimes I would supplement his pumped milk because his sister was extremely <laughs> thirsty. <laughs> you just never know how it's going to turn out for, in, for either every kid, every every last one of them. You never know how it's going to turn out.
0: Yeah, was she the twin A? Or she
1: th- was definitely twin A. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, my nephews uh, actually just two days ago turned 16 identical twins, but, you know, huh. learning all about twin A and twin B and, you know, they're identical, but they're so different in personality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even, even appearance, you know, like one is taller than the other and it's, they're not quite identical. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Nature, nature is cool.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it is. It is really cool seeing their different personalities. Mine are 14 and turn 15 this year and are about to enter high school in about a week. So um, yeah, that's going to be different.
0: So you've alluded to this a little bit, but why are doulas especially uh, important for the Black community?
1: So for the Black community, it's really important that our moms know what their rights are Mm -hmm. during pregnancy because there's already a underlining agreement that in the in, in the black community medical professionals can't necessarily be trusted right because there has been so many different things that have happened without permission you know the way that obstetrics was pretty much just born on the backs of of African-American slaves, and they weren't asked, they weren't medicated, different things like that. So for the Black community as a whole, in general, many do not trust medical professionals. So when it comes to talking to them, especially people, you know, that are now in the age where they're having children, they didn't really learn how to communicate with them and ask questions and, you know, know what things were, what they should be doing or this is my right. I have the right to do this or that because many people just did whatever the doctor said. So in the black community, I love the fact that I get to show mothers and partners exactly how they can advocate for themselves, what their rights are, what their options are. It's their body. And of course, a medical professional's opinion is very important, but ultimately it's their body and they need to know how to, you know, ask for things, and what options they have while keeping themselves safe.
0: Yeah, there's also the whole, you know, historically, is it midwives, Black midwives and doulas Mm -hmm. and, you know, just being a part of the community and birthing Mm -hmm. babies and then laws and regulations coming in and basically shutting that down. Shutting it down, yeah. Like you you can't give birth outside of a hospital. And I think, you know, we've been sort of taking steps backward, but forward in terms of going back to where, if it's safe and accessible to have a home birth and to, you know, not have extensive medical interventions, you know, it's, it's beneficial to do that.
1: Yeah, it's exactly. And honestly, for a lot of people, it's just, it's more comfortable. You can move around your home, you can drink, out of your fridge. You can get more ice if you need to. Temperature is just right. (laughs) You're comfortable. You're comfortable. And so you're such at a vulnerable time in your life that comfort is just so important.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think I've always been a homebody. I've definitely become more of a homebody in the last two years, but (laughs) you know, if you'd, if If you have the option to be at home in your own clothes with your own things around and, you know, not be in a hospital where there's fluorescent lights and beeping and all of those things. Why? Why wouldn't you do that if that's an option for you? Mm -hmm.
1: And as a doula also for the for the clients who know they're having a hospital birth or would prefer to have a hospital birth, we also can um, show them how to make the atmosphere what they want it to be where Mm -hmm. the lights can be dimmed, it can be quiet, you know, um, how to speak to the medical staff properly so their wants and desires are carried out, but making sure that everybody has a certain level of respect for each other. That's very important.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, doulas are a large part of why more and more women are becoming informed about their rights. Totally going to bungle this, but Recently, there was that, that hospital that basically spoke negatively about having birth plans. Oh, yes. You know, because from a hospital's perspective, they're like, this person's a pain in the ass. We don't want to, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, and doulas, that's really, you're there making sure that that birth plan is adhered to as much as possible. So, of course. you know, there's definitely some, some conflict there. But really, you know, everyone's interest should be the best interest of the person giving birth. So, if someone were thinking about working with a doula, and I don't see any reason why anyone would not consider working with a doula, when would they want to reach out? And, you know, just for a little context, many of my clients, for example, are coming to me after they've had previous miscarriages. So they may might be hesitant to reach out early in pregnancy, you know, and sort of make arrangements and then end up not needing them. There's a little bit of of distrust from that perspective with the infertility community or the trying to conceive after a loss. What's the ideal time to reach out? Because you all book out really fast too. (laughs) You know, there's only so many times and Time slots for births that you can attend. So, what's like an ideal timeline? So, typically, many clients like to reach out during that second trimester
1: once they feel a little bit more comfortable about them carrying their baby. I totally understand that a lot reach out during the second trimester. Now, if it is someone who this isn't their first baby, but maybe they had trouble conceiving, but they had a doula before they will usually just tell the doula so they could save their spot now. (laughs) Especially if it's somebody they want, they had before and they want their previous doula, they'll go ahead and be like, save my spot for me, right? Just save my spot for me right now. So that way the doula doesn't get overbooked and they don't end up not, they don't end up missing out.
0: Yeah. So how, you know, you talk about being a dietician by day and a doula by night, but how does it, Look when you're actually juggling your calendar because babies don't come in a nice scheduled appointment time slot. They don't they
1: they 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 definitely don't. You cannot time it. I actually work now part time as a registered dietitian for long-term care for two places. But because I work for two places and I'm only there two days a week, it is really easy for me just to stop and Mm -hmm. pick up something another day. And so that works out very well with my schedule. Now, I do have children, but because I do live near family, it's usually not that difficult for us to find somebody. They have really good grandparents (laughs) that always want them. It's not that difficult to get their grandparents to, to come. My parents are retired. They're always looking to come and get their grandkids. So it works out well for me.
0: Yeah. And your kids are older now or or they kind of span? Uh, what's your oldest kid? My oldest is
1: 23. She actually lives on wow. her own.
0: Yeah. Wow. And how old <laughs> yeah. is the
1: youngest now? And uh, my youngest is seven. Yeah. Do the math on that. <laughs> But my twins are 14. So I have all the age spans, but the best part is the 14-year-olds are old enough to watch the youngest one if they have to.
0: Hey there. So before we get back to the rest of the episode, I just wanted to pop in real quick and tell you about a new workshop I've put together called PCOS Meal Prep Made Easy, If you're like most folks I hear from, you're confused and overwhelmed by all the conflicting info out there about what to actually eat with PCOS. And you may feel like you don't even know where to start. In this hour-long workshop, I break down what foods you want to include for PCOS and what you might want to consider avoiding or minimizing. And I share my simple three-step formula for planning meals with PCOS. The best part is it does not involve spending hours in the kitchen. Yes, you can absolutely incorporate this formula while cooking at home. But what's really great is that you can apply it no matter where you are in a restaurant, getting takeout, at a family meal or even while traveling. Head over to thehormonedietitian.com forward slash easy PCOS, all one word, to sign up now. Signing up is your first step to finally understanding how to eat to manage PCOS. All right, cool. I'll see you there. Let's get back to the episode. Yeah, for sure. Not for like a week by themselves, but you know, I'm sure oh, they They
1: spend the whole they've spent the whole summer together with each other this this year for the most part, except for a couple of camps here and there. But yeah, definitely they can help take care of the little one.
0: So one of the other services you offer that I find so fascinating is you offer virtual birth support. So what does that look like? Do you bring the Zoom into the into the delivery room with you or are you on someone's iPad?
1: So what it looks like is we have a scheduled amount of meetings where we prepare and we talk about everything. I also use an app called Voxer because it's like a walkie talkie type thing. So I don't have to be like on Zoom the entire time, like right there staring at somebody. Now, if they want me to stare at them, I will. They want me (laughs) to support them that way. I will. But we prepare. And the preparation is a big part of it. We prepare how they can move their bodies. We prepare how they can situate the room. We prepare what kind of support they're gonna need. All of those things and taking all of those things into consideration help out. But when it comes down to delivery time, it's the talking on the phone because. Most people think like when you start having contractions, because they portray it on TV that way, like you automatically go into labor and you need to rush to the hospital. Not so but for most moms. For most moms, they're going to have a, a quite a bit of time while their body adjusts and open for baby. So we'll be talking, we'll be going over things, we'll be discussing how they're feeling right now, how they're breathing, making sure that they remember to call their doctor at the right time. <laughs> Listening to how they breathe so that you you can tell by breathing if somebody needs to leave the house. You know, usually a mom will feel unsafe, but some do just feel so comfortable at home. They'll stay there, even though it's go time. So just talking them through that, talking to their partner. And I do a lot of education with the partner instead of just the pregnant person because they are their support person as well. And let's be honest. Bringing a child into the world, many partners feel left out, like they can't do anything or they don't know what to do. And especially if their partner is a male, they may absolutely hate that feeling of not being able to help her out while she's in so much pain. So I found it helpful to arm the partners with tools that they are so involved in that care and they work together as a team.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of male partners want to help. They just don't understand how to help. And I mean, you know, this goes for stuff around the house too. It's like, you know, I'll, I'll get the, do you need help question, but I have to specify exactly what (laughs) I need him to do. It's like, yes, I need you to go, you know, sending him to the grocery store with pictures, basically. He's happy to help, but he just has no idea. But especially, you know, when it comes to anything involving a uterus, like they really have no (laughs) clue what's going on in there. And mine would probably pass out if I were to tell him. So yeah, it's such an important part so that they don't feel useless. Overwhelmed. Yeah.
1: And useless. Those are two feelings that no one wants while they're watching their baby be born. You want to feel, I love the feeling of the feeling of being powerful mm-hmm. and being strong, but also being so soft and so gentle, because now you have this this soft little gentle thing now
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. that
1: you just had. And just the, the vulnerability of it all, because I know with each birth for me, it's like it's so wild. It's like you look at each other and you're like, we made this. We did this. It's so crazy. It's just like that moment where you, you are looking like, wow. So when they have a role, they are so much better. My husband was really good in the delivery room. My doula told me the last time she felt like I peed more than any other pregnant person she'd ever seen. He was great at unhooking me from all the machines and walking me over to the bathroom a million and one times.
0: (laughs) That's so good. So really, you know, for the partners who may be concerned that, you know, you're you're hiring a doula to replace you in the delivery room, that's really not the goal. You know, the goal is to ensure that the partner is also connected throughout the process.
1: Yes. And also knowing with that partner, knowing what to do in postpartum as well is very important because it's such a vulnerable time for moms. It's so emotional. You have so many hormones, really, (laughs) in control of your emotions almost more than yourself. So definitely having them know what to do postpartum as far as nourishment for the mother, as far as emotional support and what they could do and when to call for help and Mm -hmm. backup is important as well because some partners feel like, okay, like she needs help, but I don't know how to help her. And is she going to be okay? Knowing that you can call that doula and that doula can hop on a Zoom, hop on a call, hop on whatever, and just check in
0: on that mom
1: and seeing what other resources they need and have in their community is a really good thing.
0: Yeah. That must be such a relief to know that you, you have that, that option and that support instead of turning to Dr. Google, you know, for every little question. (laughs) Exactly. That's exactly what I say.
1: Because even if you prepare you're still, you still have to remember, this is probably the most sleep deprived that most people have ever been in their entire life. So you can't remember everything. You can't remember how many diapers, how many poops, how many peas, but your doula can help you set all that up beforehand. Like I have a thing for my clients that I send them and they could print it out or leave it digitally. And they just put a check Mark every time there's a diaper, every time there's this, every time there's that. And then there's also little cues like, okay, if the, I changed the baby's diaper that means I should get a drink. Mm-hmm. If I, you know, if I fed the baby, that means I should probably get a snack. It's just teaching them how to stack those those habits with things they're already doing so they can uh, take care of themselves better.
0: Oh, I am a huge fan of habit stacking. Yeah, definitely. If anyone hasn't read Atomic Habits, it's a really good book to help establish Habits, you know, sort of take the things you're already doing well or things that you already do automatically without thinking about them and then add a habit you want to incorporate.
1: Great. That's I'm going to be looking that up. I'm going to be looking (laughs) that up. Yeah,
0: it's a fantastic book. It talks about, you know, how we how we make habits and how we break bad habits. You know, really sort of what the science says in terms of the best way to incorporate good habits. But look, you did it. Intuitively with every time you change the diaper, you grab a drink of water. Yeah,
1: it's so funny. I could do that for like professional, but then for me, I'm like, wait a minute, did I remember to take this? Did I remember to do that? So I'm actually trying to have it stack myself lately. So that'd be a good resource for me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's been helpful for me, you know, cause you're able to, you start with the things you're already doing. You know, I already brushed my teeth twice a day. I talked about this with my PCOS clients is you're already brushing your teeth twice a day. If you're trying to add Inositol twice a day, do it when you brush your teeth, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> uh, those things that are just anchors in our day, you know,
1: mm-hmm.
0: being a dietitian and a doula, there are some you know ways that you're able to help your clients that you know regular doulas without the nutrition training really don't have the ability to do like medical nutrition therapy so what are some of the the additional conditions that a dietitian doula can help prevent or manage during pregnancy and postpartum so
1: one of them is definitely gestational diabetes or if your client has diabetes, just so they have the support or learn how to eat things that they love while still managing their blood sugars. As always my goal. My goal is for them to eat the foods they love, keep their cultural foods, manage those blood sugars, have a healthy pregnancy and have a, a healthy baby afterwards. And it is so rewarding because I don't think people realize, like as a dietitian. We don't just tell people what to do. They always think we just tell people what to do. We don't just tell people what to do. We find out what's doable for them. And in that process, I get to learn a lot about other people's cultures and foods. And so trying to let my brain just work on making sure they have something they want and they like is also fun for me. You know, it's stimulating for my mind, but the education parts, they come so effortlessly. It feels, I always say I'm getting paid for this, like for real. Like I love, (laughs) I love doing the education part. So it could be gestational diabetes. They can also have hypertension, just helping them learn how to decrease the sodium in their diet and make sure they keep that fluid off of them. Also just eating in general actually is a big one. Not even necessarily having any problems, but just like, okay, I have this baby in me. I need to learn how to eat healthy like today. So (laughs) I get a lot of that. So just helping them ease into habits where they can not only feed their, eat this way when they're feeding their baby, you know, through their body, but just to keep the nutrition rolling through their entire family. So they kind of set this up for life. So that's definitely a plus with having a dietitian as a doer because you just don't get that.
0: <laughs> yeah, that deep, you know, biochemical knowledge of nutrients and interactions and medical nutrition therapy for, you know, diagnosed medical conditions that require, you know, above and beyond the general sort of typical recommendations to eat more vegetables or yeah. get yeah. enough protein or things like that. You know, we do have a lot of dietitians who listen to the podcast. And I think, you know, those of us who went through school several years ago were taught from maybe more of a a cultural competence uh, place of education, you know, or we had maybe one class, you know, and it was always about, you know, learning about different cultures and how to work with them. But the paradigm has been shifting to more of a cultural humility approach, which is what you were describing, where I would never try to memorize all of the different foods of all of the different cultures in the world, nor would it be possible. So what it requires instead is to get curious. And it is, it's super fun to learn like, what are other people eating? So you know, asking someone, well, what's, what does your typical breakfast look like? Or what are some foods in your cuisine that are, you know, leafy and green? Because not everybody eats salads, but almost everybody has leafy greens somewhere. So it's just, you know, getting curious about it and teaching people how to combine foods in ways that are supportive of their health while maintaining their favorite preferred foods that they're used to. Mm
1: -hmm. And I was going to say, as a dietitian and a doula, most people will have some food aversions Mm -hmm. of something. It'll be their taste, texture, smell, something. So the beauty of being a dietitian is that now I can look and see what nutrients they are lacking and missing, and we can fill those in with things they like. And then one of the other things is being a dietitian and a doula instead of just saying what do you like I say when you close your eyes and you think of home and comfort what foods do you smell what do you feel what do, what comes to your mind because that pregnancy and that postpartum period is all about trying to be comfortable as possible and feeling as grounded as possible through all these emotional and physical changes. So I love for them to think of something, you know, that reminds them of a, a good time in their life or somebody really special in their life that brought them so much joy. So that's the doula, that's the doula plus the nutrition part coming in together definitely for that.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, my background, I I was, my grandmother's 100% Sicilian. And so when I was, whenever I was sick, when I was little, my mom would make pastina, which is the little tiny star-shaped pastas. And so, you know, now, I mean, you know, I'm mid-40s. Anytime I'm sick, all I want is pasta. But, you know, the background education dietitian. part of me is like, okay, you can't just eat a bowl of carbs. We're going to put some bone broth in. We're going to put, you know, some baby spinach in there. So you get at least a little color, a little bit of nutrients, even if you're sick. But you never know, you know, you never know what's going to sound good or what's going to stay down. And it can help having a partner to bounce ideas off of who can you know, maybe tell you, you know, this is something that's worked for other clients of mine. Maybe you might want to try something like this because you never know when you're going to hit on that thing. That sounds good. You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So besides all of your formal education and your trainings, you also have PCOS. Do you want to talk a little bit about, you know, how your PCOS journey has played into increasing your your knowledge in women's health and your practicing women's health? Definitely. Definitely we could talk about that. It has a it does have a big influence because when I
1: first realized that something wasn't right, it was probably when I was about 16, but You know, I was still living at home and we didn't really quite understand. But for me, it was the fact that my cycle just stopped. Mm -hmm. It literally just stopped. And it was so weird. They tried to say to my mom, well, her cycle stopped because she's so skinny because I was so tiny. And I'm like, but I didn't lose any weight. And I'm 16. I weigh more than I did when I was 11 and I started. So what's what's going on? Subsequently, they put me on birth control, of course, which is funny. I just realized not too long ago when I took my daughter to the OBGYN, there's no difference. They are not doing really anything different in healthcare whatsoever. They literally told her what they told me when I was 16. And I was just, I don't know. I just can't believe it. So that's why it's really important. I feel like that we take our health care very seriously and we keep searching for answers. So throughout that that time, I got married when I got older. I was like 23 when I got married. And I realized I still was only having a cycle when I was on birth control. So that whole time from 16 to 23, I had to be on birth control to have a cycle. And the short time that I stopped birth control, <laughs> that's when I got pregnant with my daughter, my first one. <laughs> when I got back on birth control, I realized that now I'm married and I'm done with college and I don't mind if I have a baby. So we went probably a year or two with not trying, but trying.
0: Not not and, trying. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And so I didn't get a cycle and I started reading about, you know, different things this could be. And PCOS came up. Nobody wanted to think I had PCOS because I was thin.
0: Mhm,
1: nobody it was the craziest thing. I felt like I was just running around from doctor to doctor, trying to convince them that there was something inherently wrong with my body right now, like it's just not working like it's supposed to, and I can't get pregnant for some reason, and then one of the nurses is like, well, you can't get pregnant if you're not ovulating. And I'm like, well, am I ovulating? Like, I didn't know anything about this. Like, come on, y'all tell me something. We don't learn about our bodies (laughs) in school. So I finally went to an OBGYN that also was a a sonographer. And when I went to him, I told him that I had PCOS. And I'm like, I know this is what I have. I just feel it. I feel it. And everybody thinks that I'm crazy because I think I was like 104 pounds. Like I was, I was like really small. That's just like our family hair. (laughs) That's how my family goes until you have like more, more kids. (laughs) You start having more babies, you start gaining more weight. And so he looked at me and he said, you know what? You probably do. He said, let's go over into this other room. I'm going to do a transvaginal ultrasound. There you go. There were, you know, (laughs) there were cysts. Yeah. Lo and behold, there were multiple cysts. That's why I would have pain in no cycle because I just had these cysts just hanging around in there. Just knowing that that drove me to learn more about my body. And at that time, there was a there were not really many apps. There was an Internet site I could go to called Fertility Friend. And mm-hmm. I learned all about my body. And it was amazing. It was amazing. It was like life altering to me.
0: That's actually the app that I use for my own cycle tracking, uh, the Fertility Friend. And it is, it's very old school looking. The app looks (laughs) like it was built in the 80s. It's very pastels and almost video game-ish looking. So I feel like that is really common, unfortunately, in, in young women who are thin or athletic particularly like college athletes, mm-hmm. I feel like it leads to such a delay in diagnosis of PCOS because, you know, there's already this understanding that if you're, you know, physically active uh, periods can stop. So it it might get mistaken for more of like a functional hypothalamic amenorrhea situation, but it's actually not. And you're probably, you know, because you're active and you know inflammation's low maybe eating healthier it's it's kind of keeping the pcos a little bit at bay but you're still seeing those signs like the irregular cycles and things like that so i'm glad that you finally found a doctor to listen to you and willing to look it's like how hard is it to just look like just look and tell me yes or no you know
1: it was so crazy. I think I had went to like this is probably like my fifth doctor and I had moved to South Florida. So, I mean, I was trying to go to somebody, you know, new and I didn't want to go back to my doctor's office because right before I moved, the nurse practitioner that I absolutely loved moved to California and I really didn't want anybody else dealing with me. So I had to find, a, you know, someone I could go to regularly.
0: Yeah. So what are some of the changes you've incorporated since learning that PCOS was what you were dealing with?
1: I became more accepting of my body. Mm -hmm. That's definitely one because during the time when we were trying to get pregnant and then even after I got diagnosed, we struggled with infertility for about a year. And so um, learning not to fight against my body was a huge learning curve for me. Probably more than anything I could have done physically for the outside. But appreciating my body, even though it wasn't working like I wanted it to, was a tremendous psychological shift for me. It it was huge. And to this day, I still have to do that because now Erica has those hot flashes from PCOS as well. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I just said to my husband yesterday, I hate this hot weather because, you know, when you're when you're this age, I'm like, is this a hot flash or am I just hot? Like, I can't tell. And I'm just I don't know. I'm just sweaty all day long. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my kids, were, my kids always say I keep
1: it like an igloo in the house. And then we went to the grandparents house who don't keep it like an igloo. And I was sweating so much having a hot flash. My son looked at me and was like, Mom. Are you okay? He like <laughs> my mom ran and got a fan. <laughs> I'm like, yes, yeah, just one of these old high flashes here. I'll be fine. But um, taking your course and honestly, even after I just did chapter one, huge difference in my eating. Even as a dietitian, you know, we know how to eat, we know what to eat, we know what we're doing. We're trained in this. We talk to people about this, but we live real lives too. So I was. Working and barely getting lunch, and or then when I had lunch, it was always like something quick because I had to hurry up and go. I mean, I was just tired because I was shuttling three kids to school every morning, and then going to work, and then coming back and picking them up. And so, you know, trying to build a business too in the middle of it. So it was really helpful, even just from chapter one. And the funny thing is, is I really was trying to just feel better and do what was right for my body. And then everybody starts saying, did you lose weight? Did you lose weight? I don't weigh myself. I don't, I don't know. So my clothes told me I did eventually, but it's just so interesting how that happened because I have been trying at different parts in my life to probably like change and lose lose some weight. And then having PCOS taught me something else. When I went from having one baby to three babies all of, all of a sudden, My body didn't want to go to that size anymore, no matter what I did. Mm -hmm. So, appreciating the fact that this is where my body feels comfortable, even though I can't wear those clothes anymore, you just got to buy new clothes. And then now I have this thought process where I feel like, you know, clothes are meant to fit us. We should not be trying to fit clothes. Like, it's the other way around. It's just like fabric. (laughs) So, get the fabric that fits your body right instead of trying to alter your body to fit. A fabric. So um, that's a big, big lesson that PCOS has taught me.
0: Interesting. Cause I, much as the nineties clothing is coming back right now. And I, I kind of, for some reasons, wish I could fit into the same clothes that I had in <laughs> high school because now they're in style again. It's like, Ooh, where did those overalls go that I used to have? And where's that little <laughs> baby doll dress? But you know, we're not the same people that we were in high school or college and we shouldn't be, you know. And so that, I love that. I love, you know, how much you talked about the mindset shift and just being at peace with your body and accepting your body for what it is. And the PCOS root cause roadmap, I believe you joined, was that in 2020 maybe? Was it like two years ago No, I think? I think it was last year. It was was October, October of last year. okay. You know, and and we t- I talk about this all the time is, you know, if I had a dollar for every time someone tells me they eat healthy, I would have my own private island by now because <laughs> we all have different definitions of healthy, you know, And it's like what you think is healthy or what's healthy for one condition may not necessarily be what's appropriate for. PCOS and fertility struggles. So, you know, it's, that's why it's just those subtle little shifts where we, we change the emphasis on things a little bit to focus on the biggest issues, which is like keeping that blood sugar balanced so that you're not having cravings and you have energy to actually move your body and, you know, you're sleeping appropriately and all of, all of the things fit at all. Starts with those fundamental blood sugar balancings That PCOS or not, many women are terrible. at You know yeah, the sleep. The sleep is the one for me. The sleep. So Sleeping, I have... skipping meals, grabbing a piece of fruit on the way out the door. Like those mm-hmm. are the kind of you know we think we're doing well, but or having just coffee for breakfast. Guilty, you know. Definitely used to be way more guilty of that.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you know. The thing that I liked about the roadmap is that it doesn't just say, like, eat more fruits and vegetables. It gives you all the science behind it because, you know, as dietitians, we all kind of are nerds. So I love the fact that it gives us the breakdown of exactly like why we need to do that, because without saying it, that's what you end up doing
0: hmm. Some it's people like, some people really need to know the why, like learning styles. They really need the why. Otherwise, they're not going to do it. You know, yeah. like I'm definitely one of those people like I need it. I need the reason why I'm going to invest my time into doing this. That's
1: exactly how I am, too. I, I need to know why, because I may not want to.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's still my decision, but, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to read the facts myself and then decide for myself exactly that's that's
1: exactly how i am so i really like that it's so funny because i am in a group of a business coaching a group of women that are all dietitians and just having that mindset probably from the pcos it allows me to love the changes that my body has had over the past couple of years like i'm not worried so much about 5 pounds 10 pounds I really do think I look terrific all the time, whether somebody else thinks it or not. (laughs) I like appreciate so much more about my body. And I really think if I didn't go through that PCOS, because I really I really remember a time I got so mad at my body. I refused to exercise. That's how mad I was at my body, because apparently it wasn't working because I wasn't getting pregnant. And so I was like, that's it. I'm not working out anymore. What's the point in this? And it just taught me like, there's more to working out than just looking good or trying to have a baby. Like I have to take care of my body. So that's, that's led me to a lot of self-love.
0: Yeah. That all or nothing mindset of like, this isn't doing what I want it to do. So I just screw it all. Like I'm not doing any of it Yeah. You have to find those other things, you know, with exercise, I'm a hundred percent in it now for the energy and mood boost I know is going to come after I do it. You know, it's like, I just trying to try to approach these hot flashes with that piece too. It's like curiosity (laughs) and peace. And it's like, I, I know this is temporary. It's, you know, all we can control is the things we can control. Like Exactly. It's
1: so yeah. funny because I was thinking to myself, I realized that one of my facilities, the first thing I do is go in the fridge every day. I'm hot and it's a great time to check all the labels. So I literally just head to the fridge in the freezer every day when I come into work and just stand there and just cool down. I'm like, this is this is going to help me out. I'm going to go through all of these foods. I'm going to make sure everything is like it's supposed to be.
0: And then I'm going to knock out two birds with one stone. <laughs> I love it. I need to find a refrigerator aspect for my job, I think. <laughs> So why don't you, I always like to wrap up with what's one thing you would want people to remember from this episode?
1: That every woman deserves a doula. Mm -hmm. Every woman does, really. Everyone deserves that.
0: Well, it's such important work that you're doing. And I'm so glad you were here. You're actually our first doula on the show. So Uh i uh, really glad you were able to take the time to come talk with us about it. Tell people where they can find you, your website and social and all of that. So I have a website. I love it.
1: I love it. Love it. I just, I just got it redone. So I'm just in love.
0: It looks amazing. It's, <laughs> I, I, I just say, yeah, I always go about people's websites and it's super vibrant and easy to navigate and yeah, super cute. Love it. Wow. I had a wonderful website developer. If anybody wants to know who to go
1: to, just hit me up. Uh, you could go to um, com. You can find me on IG under Purely Nourishing Doula. And you can also find me under Facebook, under the same name, just with spaces on Facebook. <laughs> That's the only difference.
0: Yeah. And you offer a variety of services, right? You do nutrition and doula and fitness training classes as well. Yes.
1: Yes. And hopefully soon I'll be getting a certification in a postpartum fitness class as well, because I'm already enrolled in the class. I just took a little bit of a break with all the other things I have going on before I completed it. But yeah, that's going to be a really fun class. Moms can start it after day 10 with a vaginal delivery and with the cesarean birth after, um, six, six weeks.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you to everyone for listening. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening to this episode of Hormonally Yours with the Hormone Dietitian. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you could open up the podcast app you're probably using to listen to this episode right now and leave a quick rating or review. Your reviews help this podcast get seen by more women who could benefit from the information I share here. Stay tuned for our next episode. And in the meantime, stay balanced.